You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. A prosthetic leg with a Willie Nelson bumper sticker washed ashore on the beach, which meant it was Florida. Then it got weird. Homicide detectives would soon be stumped by the discovery of the so-called hollow man. Empty torso with no external wounds, like all his organs had been magically scooped out. Little progress was made in the case until a TV station began calling him the jack-o'-lantern man, which immediately doubled the number of nicknames. But right now, the victim had yet to be found. In fact, he was still breathing. A finger tapped the chin. Should I kill the hostage back at our motel room? Coleman surveyed topless sunbathers and swigged a secret flask. You never asked that question before. I know. Serge looked at his sneakers. This would make four guys in the last month. I wouldn't want to be accused of overreacting. I did notice you've been wasting a lot more dudes lately. I blame my environment. Serge picked up a piece of litter. Oil spills in the Gulf, foreclosed homes in Cape Coral, voting machines held together with paper clips, rising crime, falling landmarks, that structured settlement asshole on TV yelling, it's my money and I want it now. Who can take it, said Coleman. I live for Florida. Serge stuck the piece of trash in his pocket, and she's been disintegrating for decades. I've tried sounding the alarm. Remember the time you actually used a real alarm, asked Coleman. That handheld siren and a helmet with a revolving red light on top. Everyone scattered and screamed when you ran through. Because they'd been blind to the darkening spiral. But it was a baby shower in a restaurant. Because I care about future generations, said Serge. If we don't act fast, they'll never know the majesty of this sacred place. But recently, the decline has accelerated far beyond anything I imagined possible. And the Florida of my youth may be gone in my own lifetime. I won't survive. It's like oxygen to me. Then what will happen, asked Coleman. I could become unstable, said Serge. So to keep pace with the deterioration, I'm forced to kill more of the fuckheads who blight my fine state. He turned and looked at Coleman. Is that selfish? I say the guy back in our room has it coming. Serge nodded. And I respect your opinion because you smoke marijuana. You're chemically biased against violence and job applications. I'm only against taking part, said Coleman, but I still like to watch. Which, said Serge, murder or people working? Both. Coleman picked up the prosthetic leg and tucked it under his arm. They continued walking along the surf. Tim Dorsey was a police and courts reporter for the Alabama Journal and a general assignment and political reporter for the Tampa Tribune. He became the Tribune's night metro editor. He's the author of 15 novels, from Florida Roadkill to When Elves Attack. His latest novel featuring Surge Storms is Pineapple Grenade. Thank you for joining me, Tim. Thank you for having me. Tim, back when you started writing these novels, which is 1999, I was thinking about that. You know, that was actually a pretty good time compared to now. <laughs> I, I know. It's it's amazing. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, it was a different era. And it seems like the writing and having these books coming out, it seems like only maybe a year or two has elapsed, even though it's been like 13 years since the books have come out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a completely different era. It was, a, it was actually an innocent time compared to, uh, uh, the days we're living in now, you know. 
What inspired you to create this great character, Surge Storms? There are many aspects of this character, I think, that are iconic and powerful. And even though he's fun and he's crazy and the books are crazy and fun, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on with Surge in these books as well. So what inspired you back then to create this crazy guy? And, <laughs> and, and, he, and tell us just a little bit about who he was and who, who he's become. Well, it was actually an accidental creation, but it was a creation of uh, necessity of things that I wanted to have in books, and uh, and uh, you know I've always I always wanted to do this. I mean, this was my life's goal and dream since I was like fifteen. I actually came up with the uh, just this it formalized itself. I'm going to try to write these surreal satirical novels, you know, based on my. Uh, my idols like Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller and Hunter Thompson and those types. But um, this character was an accidental creation. He was just going to be a, uh, I was going to have a larger-than-life villain. And the villains that kind of have been most interesting to me in either movies or books have been the ones that are highly intelligent. And, and yet they seem to lack either impulse control or empathy. And um, in this case, I gave my character uh uh, well, he developed this because I, I saw how this would work. Uh, he has no impulse control, but a ton of empathy. So, in other words, when he sees somebody being bullied, or if he sees some jerk, you know, who's ruining society, I mean, he's completely criminally insane. He commits crimes all the time, but he'll step out of, you know, you know, knocking off, you know, you know some drug dealer and stealing his money or whatever. Um, if he sees somebody being taken advantage of, you know, the elderly being exploited, and he'll just swoop in, you know, like a superhero. And uh, you know, of course, being Florida, he's he's busy because there's all these, you know just predators down there but um uh like i said that was the accidental part where he developed into that type of a character was as i was going along i had all of this sort of floridiana all this knowledge of my favorite places you know that i i just wanted uh the books to bird dog readers to like oh you know like if you, if you like see a great movie or read a good book you want to like tell somebody about it you got to read this you got to go see this movie and that's how I felt about all these places that through reporting and just traveling in Florida, uh, I want to say, you, you got to go to this place or you got to see this or did you know this fact about this that nobody knows? And it was stuff that uh, I'd, you know, I wasn't finding in travel books or history books or whatever. So I had my character uh, at one point to show how off you know his rocker he is. I had him just go into this you know psychotic rant. And he just started ranting about Florida, and and I had, it just almost, it just kind of like was an eruption that was natural, that came out of me. And when I finished his rant, you realized he was nuts, which kind of scared me, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I was just doing it, you know, normally. But uh, then I knew, I said, oh, this is this is my guy, you know, I can use him to get my Florida in there, you know, have him be sort of Captain Florida. And so... Uh, so after that, that was, that was about a third of the way through the first draft of Florida Roadkill. And so when I did subsequent drafts and everything, I, kn I knew I had my guy. You know. Well, one of the things that uh, strikes me about these books is that because they involve crime fiction to a degree— you see them described, you know, as comparisons to Ross Thompson in crime fiction. But to my mind, the name that you brought up is the most important. These uh, Hunter Thompson, that's, I think, the real inspiration here. And to me, though, these books ha are fun. They're 
crazy. They're clearly sort of fiction. I, I, I really think of this, these books as a continuation of the career you led before in journalism. These are books of journalism that, whereas most people you want to use journalism to speak truth to power, you just want to give it the finger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I just have when I wrote the first book, um, I was I was working on it forever and to get it started, and I was doing it all wrong. I kept rewriting chapter one. You know, like, and I was overwriting, and I was intimidated by the fact that I, that I was trying to like, get a book going. Like, how dare I even think I can step on the same playing field as my idols? And I just said, I finally said, you know, well, you know, just just don't even edit as you go. Just write a first draft. You know, just keep going. Don't look back. And it'll be a practice novel. You know, it'll be like you play in the minors and you'll put it in a drawer and eventually you'll work your way up. And um, and so I just kind of loosened up and uh, and wrote that first book. And it was like I didn't even like there was a lot of passages where I, I had to just consci- consciously tell myself um, – you know, just hey, nobody's going to read it, so just just leave in everything. You'd be totally mortified if your friends and neighbors read, you know, in a published book, and they did eventually. Eventually, when the books came out, well, I, I really love this uh, the character of Surge, and one of the things I think that's really unique that makes these uh, novels so interesting is your prose voice, because it's a little bit distant, I think, um, and, and I think that this. You're, it's a little bit flat, and that's what makes the the why. Except for when he's writing letters <laughs> or taunting somebody, but I think that that kind of uh, flatness in the voice, the flatness of affect, really lends the the prose a lot of power, and it's very crafty. Well, I uh, I appreciate. It. I don't uh, know. Uh, <laughs> um, I I think maybe what um, where that comes from is. Uh, working so many years in newspapers, you know, where you you just write tightly. I mean, uh, I uh, and I notice the same style in a lot of because you were you know referencing. I mean, a lot of the great writers in Florida are either current or former newspaper people, mm-hmm. like Carl Hyacin, Dave Barry, Edna Buchanan, and uh, and they all write with this terseness uh, that I. I love. I mean, there's a whole, there's a lot of books that you know I pick up, I start reading, and it's just you can tell, you know, they never work for a newspaper or a magazine or anything because it'll just, they'll just go into this fog bank of, uh, you know, just purple prose, and um, and so uh, I, uh, you know, and a lot of people don't like the books. I mean, they'll say, oh, it's just, it's like, you know, it's just, just like. Uh, you know, it's too, you know, compact or whatever. But, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I like the pacing of it, you know, and it's, it's just the way that I, uh, I kind of think of it a little bit. I'll go off another track here. It's like Hemingway said, it's more important what you leave out than what you put in. You know, in other words, what you put in the book is the tip of the iceberg. And you let, if you can craft that well enough and, uh, and use, you know, instead of modifiers, use specific nouns and just little pieces of description you know, like you go into a certain type of a bar. You know, if you know Florida, and you could say it had, you know, scribbled on dollar bills on the wall and a giant stuffed tarpon. Okay. Well, you probably need to say no more for that type of bar. People will know, you know, that, you know, they'll be familiar with it. And so that's a tip of the iceberg, and the reader through their experience will fill in the rest. So I think that's, uh, I, I, I want to get in as much uh, as, uh, in, in as few words. 
you talked about uh, the other Florida writers, and I think that's it's so interesting that Florida as a state has its own genre of fiction, and it's very you can identify a Florida writer immediately. And I'm wondering what for you is it about Florida that makes it that way? What what how is it that Florida gets filtered through all these different voices and comes out? Uh, uh, like, like a pineapple grenade, <laughs> which is a good, uh, a, a wonderful description. Well, I, I was, I'll, I'll back up and, and uh, I was reading uh, something online where somebody was talking about, um, uh, I don't know if it was a reviewer, but they're talking about the Florida subgenre, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of like uh, he, when he wasn't living in Florida, he was living far away, never really been there. And he said that he was originally thinking that it was more like the maybe like the British invasion, where we were influencing each other because we were in the same kind of pool and we were you know re, you know reading and, and kind of and that's you know how all these bands got really good you know they were they were uh, kind of pushing the envelope in the same direction and seeing what you, what each other was doing, and then he said he moved to Florida and he realized that what the Florida writers what was happening was that what they were writing wasn't invention as much as a response to their environment. And he realized that this stuff, this wacky off-center subgenre was being generated by uh, by real events and by a just a bizarre backdrop of everyday life. I mean, it is a very bizarre place to live. Now, uh as as you uh, created Surge, one of the things I think that's uh, difficult about satire is to find new subjects and to find new approaches and and things to you know bounce off of and to inspire yourself. And I'd like you to just talk about that um, and the development of your character and the development of satire. You know, it has to you know. You keep thinking that you have to start out at eleven and keep going. That that's true. It's um, uh, it's. Uh, I usually keep a list of things that I just shake my head at or raise my sense of outrage. You know, and uh, I mean, right now, I mean, it's like one thing I do is I leave CNN on all the time, and it, it's, <laughs> it's just. Uh, and, but there's the danger of being desensitized because you go, okay, you know, they're lying, they're lying, they're lying. You know, you, you know, all this politics is going on, and uh, uh, or just the craziest stuff uh, just keeps coming over the Florida Newswire. You know about the. Uh, just what different criminals are doing, and uh, um, it, so you, you just you, you'll pick your targets. And like one of them is like, uh, uh, there's things that we're all going through. And like, of course, like 20 years ago, how many, how many uh, people were getting letters, you know, scam artist letters from some country saying, you know, uh, you've been recommended by a friend, uh, and uh, to get you know 50 million dollars out of out of this country, and you know somewhere in another continent and all you have to do is you know open an account with five thousand dollars and and you can get you know half of fifty million dollars you know because i'm the you know the daughter of the finance minister and we've been overthrown and you know it's like so um i had a little fun with that in this book well that uh the the nigerian uh scam 
uh, thing that you pull in there is really fun. And one of the things that's interesting is uh, your ability to turn information into plot points and to, to get us really infer- interested in all the kind of like weird stuff you dig up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you dig up, uh, you unearth all these odd facts, all these uh, happenings and as we read it, we what's interesting is no matter how bizarre it is, and I think this has to do with your uh, journalistic way of writing, we absolutely buy it. Well, I well one of the things that happens early in the book is there is a um, there's a main street in downtown Miami, and um, and there's a large dead shark just laying in the middle of the street. In, in downtown Miami, and everybody just ignores it, and they're just going about their business. And then finally, you know, some city department workers come along and, and pick the shark up, and um, and that, that's just that's just you know there, you know, as uh, and I, I just put that in there as other things are going on, and my characters are walking down the sidewalk, and there's a shark there, and everybody's just ignoring it, and um, and then later and where that came from is that that happened and what happened was uh, a shark ended up going up the Miami River and then some I, I don't know if they were Honduran or whatever some some fishermen caught it and and then they they tried to they were I mean and, and it, there's some nice you know sidewalk bistro restaurants so you know these guys didn't have much money at all and uh so they these three guys carried the shark and they're carrying it door to door at these restaurants trying to sell it and um and finally, and then they, and then there's there's free public transportation in Miami, and uh, it's the it's this elevated monorail, the People Mover, these little pods that go around. So then they got on the People Mover with the shark, and and there's all these commuters going to work and coming home, and, and these three you know fishermen have this shark, and they get on one stop and they get off to go hit another row of restaurants, and then finally they just got disgusted and tired with the whole process, and they threw it in the middle of the street, and um, and so. What happened in the news is they, you know, and it, and it wasn't it wasn't a big news item. It was just uh, uh, police are trying to determine, you know, how this shark ended up on land, you know, in the middle of the street. And then finally, some witnesses started coming forward. We saw them on the people mover, and we saw, and so that happens. But then later on in the book, these guys caught this shark, ended up in the street, and uh, then when they, uh, you know, when they did the uh, when they cut the shark open, they found some evidence. That was never supposed to be found um, by by some people who were trying to dispose of some evidence, but the whole thing got discovered because these crazy fishermen tried to sell this shark and then threw it in the street. So, uh, yeah, you think you know this thing happens that if you're in Florida you recognize it, and if you're not in Florida you go, oh well. If I know Tim's books, it probably did happen, and and but then it's just left there as you know it's just like this little spore, you know, and then you know, 40, 50 pages later, you know, remember that shark? Well, well, here's here's a plot twist based on it. That's one of the things I think that makes your book so interesting, too, to read as reading experiences because um, we get to, we, we are presented with all these kind of wild and, as you say, surreal events and, and people and uh, just, you know, uh, just things happen that just seem like completely out of left field. But as we read them, we know if that it's going to slot together. And that's one of the real pleasures of your reading your books is to, to watch these disparate elements fall into place. And I think I guess that's because we'd all like to think that all the horrible, weird 
stuff that happens in our own life might eventually fall into place in the same way. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, um, that's what that's what I enjoy. Those are the movies I enjoy. Is where um, it's funny. Some readers they want to be on top of it and know everything that's going on, and I want to be on a roller coaster. You know, in other words, I'll have I'll start off with you know maybe half dozen different plot threads, and they're just marching forward, and they seem totally disconnected. You know, and I'll have some readers say, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on. There's there's six different things going on, you know, and, and I didn't know how they fit together, so I stopped reading it. Well, then you have the other readers saying, you know, oh, man, I just couldn't wait to see how the, they started, uh, they would fit together, which is what they do eventually. You know, you know, co- you know, a couple of plot threads will fuse together partway through the book, and then another couple, and then finally you'll see. You know, and that's the kind of mystery as opposed to, you know, there's a murder at the beginning. Who did it? You know, and then <laughs> you walk through the suspects one by one through the book. And, you know, that's not that's not my, you know, that's not my style. No. Uh, and uh, one of the things, too, I like about your style is that for how outlandish the things are, and there are some fantastic scenes in here of politicians saying things that are just seem completely insane and crazy, you know, I think that really the people who read your books, I think most of us really think that this is the way things are <laughs> and that things really are this crazy. Uh, and I'm wondering for you as a writer, that's an interesting uh, row you have to hoe because on one hand, we really do believe stuff is this crazy, but you have to present it to us in the book as being crazy yet as being real too. It's a Well, then... It- that's that's what I that's what I uh, that's my objective is I I frame it as insane like okay this is this is just this you know outlandish book I'm writing and it's insane but all of a sudden so I'll set up this insane character who's this political consultant and he's throwing out the most insane things for his candidates to say and then you and then after about the third or fourth thing you realize wait. All of these things, they actually, these are real things that people have said. They actually did that, yes. Yeah, so, so it's framed as crazy. And then, so then by that point, if you recognize it, then you realize, wow, it really is, I mean, it really is crazy. Because, like I said, we get, to, we get desensitized. So, it, you know, you, you frame it as being like, like absurd, like nobody would ever say or, or behave this way. None of our leaders would do this, but they actually are, are they actually have political handlers that have them going out saying these things. And as, as they say on uh, you know, the political shows, you know, it has legs, it has traction. It, it turns, yeah, we, we, are, we read something that seems like it's politically absurd satire, and then you realize, no, 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 wait, that's history. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and, that, and that's the thing is, um, uh, you know, we are in a different time, because I've been doing this forever, uh, you know, from all the books. But, um, uh, yeah, people, you know, don't... Uh, it's fascinating the reaction to it. You know, it's there's more of a reaction to stuff these days. Uh, that things are just so charged. Well, like, it, it seems to me too that, um, as I said, back in 1999, compared to now, I mean, the 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 number of targets must must seem uh, paltry. I mean, this is like must be you. Must, we live in a time for peep writers like you. It's an embarrassment of riches. It is. It is. I'll, I'll tell you one major difference is, is like I said, I used to, I would say a whole lot of really outlandish things. And like if I like if I make a reference like 
somebody says something outlandish about the president or, you know, the because, I mean, the office of the president I mean, has really been degraded. This book finds a surge dealing with the world of espionage, intelligence and counterintelligence, and absolutely mocks that stuff mercilessly. Yeah, and But I think reality does that as, as well. I mean, it's like I, I always think, you know, I, you really cannot, I mean, I don't really think you can write anything that's, that is more absurd than reality. I mean, I, I, when I, when I, when I write stuff, you know, from time to time, people will say that's too far over the top, and I'm like, ah, you know, I tell you, if you've been in the news business and you, you know, you follow this stuff, I mean, it's just, um, so well, basically, what I've got is, uh, is, uh, well, Miami for a long time, even currently, I mean, and there's just a lot of shadow corporations and dummy fronts and, you know, just various. Uh, configurations uh, set up for plausible deniability because you know we, we still have our fingers in Central and South America a whole lot, and uh, and so in Miami has a whole bunch of international consulates and uh, as well as a very rich CIA history which I went into which I love I mean that's that's where the books start out is is, is I, I I love the history of uh, and the lore and, mm-hmm. and all the all the stories of all the things that you know <laughs> that they were doing when uh, you know after the Bay of Pigs or before, well, leading up to and then after the Bay of Pigs with the uh, the CIA in Miami, which was just a huge. I mean, it was you know it's supposed to be secret, and yet you know here's a you know, they were the biggest presence in town. They were like you know U.S. Steel down there, you know <laughs> you know buying boats and real estate and everybody. Oh, there's CIA. Yeah, sure. Here you go. <laughs> so. Well, that's one of the things I think that is so interesting uh, about the book and, and about you know your perceptions is that when we close those books, the world that's out there is probably even worse than what we find inside between your pages. Uh, oh yeah, well, like like at the beginning, one of the other things is people getting carjacked around Miami Airport, which mm-hmm. was a real problem you know, a long long time ago. It's still a problem, and uh, no, it was funny because I was uh, you know I, I had a I was going down there for something, and I had a you know motel. You know, I got a cheap motel near the airport, and I got up to fly to Miami that day. And it was you know it literally um, on the, the news it had something out of Miami, and somebody was carjacked right by that hotel, and uh, you know so there I am you know flying right in there. I'm going to stay there, you know. And uh, but it's you, you got to know you got to know the turf, and uh, if you do, you're you're okay. But uh, I, I can't imagine. Uh, I can't imagine just coming in as an innocent, not knowing anything about Miami, and just dropping yourself in there and, and just driving around. You know, <laughs> it would be it would be it would be a tough time. Well, I, I like your description too, and this is one of the other interesting things about reading your books is that they're working on two levels at once. That we have the bigger plot events and surge just deciding to murder people left and right and and in some of the most entertaining ways that I can possibly imagine <laughs> um, uh, but also too on the language level um, you know his thoughts were where at one point you described you say you just toss off that uh, Miami is the uh, center of finance for Latin America which <laughs> that is it's probably true yeah, yeah it is it is and uh, I mean it definitely was like I mean I mean Cocaine built the skyline. I'm not. That isn't even what I was referring to in that. But, but today, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, it. It really is. It's the hub, 
and uh, the whole thing's fascinating. And I, and I do like to write on multiple tracks simultaneously, you know, like 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 a recording studio, you know, because I don't just want to have one thing, you know, you know. Here's the plot going along. I like to have the plot happening, and then maybe something extra happening at the same time, which is interesting. And then and then maybe have the dialogue be about something else, you know, like like when they're racing around. There's this chase, but Serge is describing about how. Miami drivers have, and this is this is this is. If you live down there, you get into the rhythms of these things. It's if you if you know the weather in in Florida, um, you know during the summer there's just a flash little little uh, rain shower. You know most afternoons and it's gone, but like literally you know, right after it comes and goes, it's like every major intersection is tied up with a with a wreck, because and. and and so Serge describes this phenomenon. And this is just, I sit down and think, what, what have I not read anybody talk about? And, and, then I'll, and then I'll make it a major paradigm. And so the Serge explains, whenever it rains, you know, watch out for the, you know. So anyway, he, he, his thing is that because they haven't ever driven on snow. You know, they're the no-snow drivers. And because they haven't learned the physics, it's, it's just basically it's an IQ test. You know, you, you, you haven't learned you know, traction for physics, you know, you know, body in motion or whatever. And so every time, so then once, once we establish that, you know, there'll be like a little rain and then somebody will crash into a lamppost and Surge will evade somebody chasing him because of that, you know, and, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I can't believe this is a living. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, well, I can, because I think, um, you managed to do a couple of things for readers. There's one thing is that you give us a, a great, you know, plot arc. And, and I like, you know, the overall plot arc of this book. And, and But you give us a lot of, like, sub-arcs within that book, like circles within the book that kind of get get us there. And and I think that's an interesting, uh, you know, approach for, for a writer. And I'm wondering, how much of this do you know in advance? When you, like, sit down to write the first the opening lines of this book did you have an idea where you were going or is this kind of imp- is this a, the equivalent of a saxophone solo i basically know where i'm uh, i'm going i mean i i knew where i, I knew where this was going to end up but as far as where i would i mean like going off into the dialogue and into you know the uh, the email scam and and and, and all of those little these little flights of fancy that are fun to do. Um, those just, I, I know they're coming and I have them, you know, usually just as a, like a three or four word bullet item, you know, in my notes, you know, use this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, that, that stuff's not planned, but I, you know, I, I, the plot arc is, um, but you know, a lot of the things along the way, like the diplomats ball and what happens there and, and you know different you know different things like that um i'll i'll add in because i know that like in the arc you know like for example um this isn't giving anything away because serge is uh he decides he's going to be a spy and the thing about serge is he's he's totally confident and totally um he's just unfettered by uh by i i guess the self-reflection of society. No, you can't do that or whatever, you know, and this, and so his, his whole thing is, uh, well, I, I, you know, I, he, he'll get hung up or obsessed. So he watches some spy movies some James Bond movies and he, but he only watches the ones that have, you know, pieces shot in Florida, you know, like, uh, like Thunderball and, uh, and, and Goldfinger and, and one of the latest ones. And, and, um, and so then he decides I'm going to be a spy, and so and so his pal says, "Well, who's who's going to employ you? Who are you going to apply to?" And he goes, "Oh, that's 
You don't have to do that. I mean, see, that's the mistake everybody makes. Everybody thinks that spies have to work for somebody. But there's no there's no rule that says you can't just go around spying on people just for no reason at all. And so that's it's, and he gives one example because like like for example, one of the funnest things I like to do is just pick somebody out and follow them and see how long I can follow them. <laughs> it's, it's, and he was talking about his record, you know, like was, you know, I don't know. But anyway, and he followed this guy, and then the guy realized he was being followed, and he starts running from Sir. Why are you following me? And he goes, "Pay no attention to me. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'm just, I'm going for a record." <laughs> and um, and so he spies on people, and he follows people, and he takes pictures, and and finally, being Miami, um, they uh, people start taking notice, and. And there's two different schools of thought. Is one is who is he working for? Is he working for the other side against us, or is this some new really good guy that we need to hire so that the other side? So anyway, uh, yeah, well, like that couldn't happen. <laughs> well, you have a lot of fun. I, I was glad to see you. You you uh, nodded to to burn notice as well. Oh gosh, that's a I, reason I I really enjoy that show is they actually shoot it down in uh in florida as opposed to some other shows that are uh shot in sound stages but but that's that's the point is like everything i mean i tried to think of everything involved in espionage that is related to florida and you know we got this great show going on burn notice and so basically i and this was actually i have the uh I have the DVD set, and so I, I used this because there there was the commentary and the extra thing, and they they showed this one clip of where this fireball goes up, where they they detonate this thing, and you see the elevated freeways in the background, and and they said this, and I, this gave me the idea to put it in the book. Um, they said the, the actors were given the commentary. He goes, okay, now let's back this up and watch this again. See all those cars? They're driving along the freeway. And it was like a cloverleaf. Like there was two intersecting like freeways and cars are, just kept moving and this fireball was up and like, nobody like stopped and like, you know, got out of the car. They just kept on going. He goes, those weren't cars of extras that we planted on the freeway. That That's just regular Miami traffic who, who are like oblivious to a fireball. And this is a giant fireball going up. So I have... And and you people ask how come my character doesn't get caught or something like that and when and this is a perfect example so I had at the beginning you know there's this arm shipment and and something uh, something goes off and by accident and there's this big explosion you know out out west of the uh, airport and and the guys are all like we better get out of here and I go no it's Miami they'll think it's burn notice and so and and and, and then at the airport you know the, the fireball goes up you, you you know people you know kind of they don't even turn to it it just goes up you know and like you know some people who have never been to Miami before you know you know they see the fireball go up over the roof of the terminal and they all hit the ground and 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 then they look up and everybody's just rolling luggage you know along and and you know they get in a cab and uh and they say what what the heck was that and they go and they go what 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 explosion i oh, they probably shooting a movie or something <laughs> One of the things I, I really like about Serge is to take somebody who could be a character that you really don't want to read about and don't like, but we really like Serge. And I think, too, that has to do a little bit with Coleman, too, who's this kind of uh, a nice counterbalance to him. <laughs> it's total. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's complete dead weight. Um, yeah. Uh, Coleman is, is that that lovable, goofy friend that we all have who's just, you know, just, just uh, not going anywhere fast, you know. Just, you know, just um, 
I mean, there's people who, you know, we, we have who are the bad sheep of the family or who or people we don't want. But this guy is just constantly partying. I mean, but uh, but he's lovable, you know, but he, you know, he's, he's constantly smoking dope and, and drinking. And, and but he's just uh, he's just going with the flow and he's a happy guy. And uh, so but he's, he's not too bright. And so he's perfect because Serge is highly intelligent. and He's always just trying to. He's always saying all of the all of this wisdom to Coleman and, and departing, you know, uh, or you know, giving all this uh, you know knowledge and uh, and, and very uh, you know intelligent thoughts and and Coleman's you know receiving them completely wrong and they're lost on him and you know pearls before swine. But it's a, it's a good um, they have a good relationship. Well, it makes their uh, dialogue really entertaining to read, and it's kind of. <laughs> Now, uh, one thing I really like uh, in your book is you have a, a great ability to just write a screed. I mean, to just really rip into somebody or something, and they, and that's a, that. I you know, on the internet they used to call them flames, and I think you would be a a prize winning uh, flame warrior on the internet. And I'm wondering if you ever spent time doing that, or um, how much time? How do these screeds come to you? Do they do they come to you in rough form? Or do you just uh, sit down and just they come flow from your pen? Um, well, I the, I guess the difference uh, is um, when I have Serge do these, and and I try to pick different mediums. Sometimes mm-hmm. he's like, uh, for example, uh, one time he saw that his kindergarten uh, was having a graduation, so. He uh, and it's just like his confidence when he decides he's going to be a spy. I'm going to be a spy, and so, so he goes in. So he goes, well, my oh my, my alma mater, you know, my kindergarten, you know. And so he goes, oh. so he drives over, and he goes, and he so he, he walks up, um, like the headmaster, principal, whatever is you know checking the microphone, and Sir just walks up and he goes, hi, I'm your commencement speaker. And he goes, I didn't. What? Who are you? And he goes, Yeah, I'm I'm class of whatever, <laughs> you know. There's all these little kindergarten people out there, and and he says, I didn't hear anything. And he goes, Yes, I'm. A, uh, anyway, he he I, I won't give it away, but he gives he just you know confidently explains how he says I know it was a last minute thing, you know, and he just bluffs his way, and he's not even trying to bluff. He's just totally you know uh, irrepressibly insanely confident and. and they don't see it until he gets up and he, and so he starts on this screed to these kindergarten. And so what I do is, <clears throat> I um, it, the difference between people with flame, uh, <laughs> a lot of them are are uh, just uh, I, I don't know why they're so upset, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm laughing. I mean, so I so what I'll do is I'll I'll sometimes you got to work on it. You know, the first time it doesn't come through. Sometimes it does, but I'll create a scenario like. Uh, I had I had Serge driving like for in this case I had Serge driving through this area, and it was past where my kindergarten was, and so it just popped in my head. Okay, can I work that in in some way? And I'm like, well, Serge would want to give the commencement address, and so I, I I put that in the next day. Have Serge you know make a detour to the kindergarten to do a commencement address. So I got up the next day. I had no idea what I was going to say, and so I so I had him get up there, and that was those are the funnest days. I'll just you know. I put the coffee on, sit down, relax, and just because uh, I don't have to. Those are the days I don't have to. <clears throat> I'm not slave to the plot. I can uh, I can just like, just go off on a tangent, and uh, and so that's what I that's there's that's where the the screeds come from. Now, with regards to um, 
the kind of uh, language you choose. One of the things I think that's really important with a work of satire like this is to know when and how to sling your blue language. And this is really, this is a, a talent I think that's highly underrated and and not something that you can, uh, not something that you can just do. It takes, uh, it's a musical skill, I think, almost, in terms of hearing how, how and when to place it so that those words come up for the maximum effect. Um, yeah, I guess the, the best timing is when it's most inappropriate. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, and, and <laughs> um, because I, I hear it, I mean, I, I don't, uh, it, it, that doesn't bother me. I mean, the things that bother me is, con- is the content of, of when people of what people say and meanness and you know people who are not courteous or, or not respectful of, other, of you know their fellow you know Americans or fellow people walking this earth um, so, so that to me you know the blue language is, is nothing but I realize it, it does have effect um, and so I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll pick the spots as a matter of fact there's a lot of spots where you would expect some blue language and I'll actually go under and have Serge say something that he would, you know, normally, you know, you expect him to say, you know, MF or whatever, and, and instead he'll he'll say something, you know, you know, very Elizabethan. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things I think that makes him uh, such an interesting and appealing character is that uh, his his capacity to. Um, he sounds very intelligent, he, as you you described him as a as a highly intelligent character, and I think that he is. And yet, because of his behavior, we kind of don't necessarily regard him in that way. I mean, he but he's very much a, a professor in some ways. And one of the things that there's as a as a tool, one of the tools you use, writerly tools you use, is the info dump. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and and I love your sensibility for those because. Wrongly used, those bring things to a grinding halt and are not fun. But you manage to make them lively and exciting and slot them into the plot. And those are three uh, things that are tough to do all at once. Well, and a lot of that uh, is the result of rewriting. In other words, I'll, I'll rewrite and rewrite and I'll be reading my drafts. And I can, by the time I'm finished editing, I'll just be reading and I'll go along, and if I see that something slows something down, I'll either cut it down, take it out, split it apart, you know, break it up. Or if, I mean, I, because I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and so that's uh, that's something that I, I, I really look forward to and, uh, and uh, make sure it doesn't happen when I'm going through the rewrites. And, and, and it does sometimes. Sometimes, uh, because when you write... Certain passages, you know, okay, like, let's say uh, you're doing three pages. If you're doing three pages of dialogue, it may take, like, no time at all to write. And then you get three pages of action or setting something up, and it may take a whole day to write. And so um, subjectively, uh, when, you, when you finish a draft, you think that certain passages are much longer and other patches, uh, patches of writing are much shorter. And so then once you, you're not editing anymore and you're just kind of proofreading, you're going along... Uh, you can uh, you can pick up on that. Now that's 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 some inside baseball as far as how you do. Another uh, another thing I another thing I do is uh, I shouldn't give away the tricks, but um, as I go toward the end, I compress time to accelerate the action. In other words, the same amount of time passes in fewer 
pages and words as as things kind of rocket slid toward the you know conclusion. Boy, that's interesting. I didn't notice that. I mean, I didn't. I noticed that I was turning the pages so fast that I really wasn't going to be bothering to attach any sticky notes, but I didn't perceive that, and that's a really interesting technique. Now, yeah, um, I'm, I'm a magician giving away the uh, <laughs> how we saw the lady in half. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, now, uh, one of the speaking of sawing the lady in half, um, one of the most enjoyable things about this book is is uh, 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 the his means of. Uh, disposing of people. <laughs> uh, these are, are inventive. They're creepy. But they, no matter how creepy and awful they are, they're fun to read about. And now, how, talk about pulling that off. That's not easy to pull off. Well, this is one, I mean, we're 15 books into this, and in every book, he's he devises these Rube Gold. Bergian, however you want to, you know, these devices that are, um, that have sometimes, you know, they'll have, sometimes they'll be thematic, other times they'll be, uh, you know, <laughs> dictated by the location or by the crime. You know, often you try to be, you know, somewhat, uh, uh, <laughs> somewhat relevant or ironic. Um, but, you know, I, I, you never want him just to pull out a gun and shoot somebody or, kick, you know, it's got to be, he gets them to, Location B, you know, or whatever, and then he sets up his uh, he sets up his <laughs> his plan. Now, uh, when you're doing these things, I, I go mean... to I go to home improvement stores a lot and take notes of uh, <laughs> of what I can use because because he's like the MacGyver of death. He's he 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 just pulls together, you know, what's laying around sometimes, and you know, or he'll make a he'll make a run. He goes, I got to go to the toy store, and he'll, he'll go buy some toys, and you know, and, and then. And then, you know, because that's and that's the whole build up. Is once once you get in tune with his rhythm and, and what he's doing in the books, you realize when he starts to shop, it's like how is he going to use that? And, and so I I have I tell you sometimes what he's buying and what he's doing and, and this and that, and and then you see him start to assemble the stuff. This is <laughs> this is frightening me. <laughs> now uh, I'm kind of wondering. I mean, when you. When you write this stuff that has this kind of really dark edge, I mean, and it's full of kind of really over-the-top violence, uh, do you ever worry about yourself? Or, I mean... No, there's a whole lot of other reasons to worry about me, but not that. <laughs> not, not that. That's... Uh, uh, yeah, I have. I had no idea. I mean, I just started uh, doing that in the first book simply because I was really trying to make the book entertaining. And... I got such a response on that aspect of what I was doing that, uh, uh, like in the, uh, there was some just really, really twisted things I did in the very first book, and I just did it, and um, and people uh, people goes, my gosh, I've never thought anybody could like, I never thought of anybody you know killing somebody that way, and there was like seven or eight, just all all throughout the book. You know the, the ways people were doing these things to each other, which is uh, it's not it's not necessarily uh, gruesome as much as sometimes funny. I mean that you know he'll use just the oddest contraptions and he'll uh, and and he'll put them together in a way that like wow. So um, so anyway, I I was just doing it like I was paying attention to the history and the humor and them traveling around and you know the witty 
hopefully the witty uh, give and take between the characters. And then I started doing the book tours. You know, people people like you know they gave me the heads up that the uh, you know that these death scenes are working. And so I was like, oh, okay, well I'll make sure I uh, you know stick with that. Well, when you talked about the witty repartee and, and banter, um, I think that one thing that's interesting in these books is that the banter between the characters takes place sort of on a plot level um, in the way that these people respond to one another kind of um, absurdly because one doesn't know exactly what the other one is doing or they'll look at Surge and they'll not like get how, who he is and they'll kind of of take him, they'll see him as one thing, or just see what he's done and think he's one thing. Um, and I think that kind of that's an interesting uh, way to create tension and to create a kind of connection between characters. Yes, and like, I think a perfect example of uh, of what you're talking about is he will, um, and throughout the series and this book is initially. I mean, sometimes it takes sometimes it only takes five seconds. Sometimes it could take days. Because he's just so effervescent and 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 just has a zest and, a, and an enthusiasm for life. He's like he's like manic depressive, except he's just uh, you know he, except he's not depressed. <laughs> you know he's just happy, and um, and so he's uh, you know he's just intense. Well, he he does get depressed about the direction of society, and that's when he becomes violent. So, but the manic side, yeah, I guess that would be it. The, the manic side is all. Um, it's all just you know, uh, uh, and so he'll he'll enter situations and he'll he'll approach people and and that's that's half the key to life is, you know, act like you're supposed to be there and people will you know assume that you are supposed to be there and and that that's what he does and so so he ends up um, he ends up uh, at one point because he knows Miami and he knows a situation so he he sees uh, a danger like there is a in the book, there's the summit of the Americas, and there's all these uh, heads of Latin America coming in for this big summit, and he notices a threat to one particular person that his bodyguards don't notice because they're not familiar with Miami, and so he intercedes, and um, and the uh, and the uh, the dignitary, the visiting dignitary from Latin America, um, and Serge says. Uh, you know, just uh, he goes. Who are you? And he goes. To, you know, that's not important. I'm like, he goes. You're CIA. And I go. I actually. And he goes. No. And he goes. Oh, that's right. You, you know, you, you if if you're CIA, you have to say you're not CIA. And he goes. Uh, that's, you said it, not me. Whatever. Anyway, anyway, he just he just says, I'm just doing my job. You know, and and and, <laughs> and so so that's how he ends up. So then that dignitary's like, you know, unhappy with his own personal security detail because <laughs> because he almost got. You know, it was a random. It was it was a random type of. Uh, um, no, robbery scenario that uh, that that didn't pan out because Serge interceded, and so uh, so then he comes across Serge and wants him to uh, accept him as part of the security, the local security. He thinks that uh, that anyway, uh, I'll, I'll let it go from there. But uh, but that was just his confidence, you know. And, well, I like too, like the uh, in the way that he has a dialogue with the morgue, the mortician, because the, the mortician's called. How could somebody? It's like a ship in a bottle. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I will. And 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 uh, that's one of the murder methods we're <laughs> referring to there. And, and uh, we'll, we need say no more because uh, it's it's one of the the aspects that's really fun about this book. Um, as you're 
when you're um, putting the series together, you know, you there's a, a development, you know, from the first book through the end of the book, as you know, of course, as the world has changed too. And I'm curious about how how you where you think you can take this character and how you you know have tracked that development do you have like a a spreadsheet that says well he's done these kind of things and so next he's going to want to do this i uh i'm lucky in that he's nuts so you know <laughs> there is no rhyme or reason you don't have to uh stay consistent or whatever and that's the best part about you know i'll pick out several different places um that i would like to you know you know locations in florida like oh i'm interested in this part or i found out this about this place well, if you get him behind the wheel, he's so, you know, impulsive as far as, you know, obsessively driving wherever he wants that, uh, that he doesn't have to be linear. You know, he can jump around. And, and as far as, you know, his development or whatever, frankly, I mean, I'm very, uh, you know, I'm non-confrontational. But as far as his character, uh, I kind of, you know, he's my voice and he's my, you know, as, as far as his his sort of childlike fascination with history and with uh with traveling and finding out of the way places, which are re, you know based on real places, or they are real places. I mean, if I have him, he'll be he'll drive past some place that I want people to go to to check out, and he'll just like have Coleman take the wheel from the passenger side as he points the camera out the window and takes pictures, of it, and he says, "What are you doing? I'm taking pictures of this, you know, blah blah blah, you know." And he describes where it is so that you can actually find it. If you're reading the book, you can take a note. And he goes, "It's it's," and and as he's passing, he'll give like a little tidbit of history about the place and he says yo if you're down here you gotta go you know he'll drive on uh do you do that or do you do oh you, yeah you're the guy who drives all over florida yeah well you, well you saw me when i when i came in the studio i started taking pictures you know because i want you know <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i drive all over the place oh good good so will serge come to san francisco um well i don't know i i uh it'd be I, a good place for him i, I think he'd fit in I, I i know i know he would as a matter of fact i told you i was going to do a little bit of driving around and uh looking at some stuff uh for some upcoming things, uh, he may reference it. Or he, may, he may he might uh, you know do something. But let's uh, say, have you looked? The, here's one thing: that's, the compliments are in the most unusual ways. But have you seen on the website all the tattoos that people are? are uh, I, you've got no. I haven't seen the tattoos. I saw. I people are sending me. Uh, they they'll use either elements um, of my book covers or. They'll use certain things that some logos that I've come up with that I use on my website, mm -hmm. and they're sending me photos of tattoos they're getting. They have like surge tattoos and various book cover tattoos, and uh, I mean, there's a I mean a lot of them. I mean, so I on my uh, on my tour page, I got my tour schedule down the right hand side, then I got a bunch of you know various photos that people sent me, and there's just a whole string of uh, of people who have gotten tattoos so well that's interesting because uh, i mean you must wonder about your audience oh i love them i mean it's it's great <laughs> i mean it's uh i mean you know how many i mean did this did faulkner have that did they have to tattoos of you know <laughs> as i lay dying yeah <laughs> i guess not now uh, uh do you know what your next book is going to be about yes yes i do as a matter of fact well the next one's done because they have to be done way ahead of time so I'm working on the one following that, which uh, I think uh, Surge is, uh, uh, well, it's probably going to be down in the Keys, down the Florida Keys, because he hasn't been there in a while. And 
that's pretty much where I start. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I went down and I saw them. I saw the, the they dropped the conch shell over Sloppy Joe's at New Year's Eve, and I was I was out there for that to experience it, which is pretty weird. <laughs> that that sounds weird. It's a conch shell that falls. It's a giant conch shell, and it's like Times Square. And actually, like CNN and the networks will cut break like after they'll they'll do a tape delay and they'll show. And then down in Key West, three or four minutes ago, they dropped the conch shell, and there's a, there's a conch shell that it's, it's a lighted shell giant thing that lowers down this pole over Sloppy Joe's bar in Key West, and then when it hits the bottom, 2012 flashes, and everybody goes crazy. Now, um. You so you travel to where you want to go before you uh, do your before you write your books. And... Absolutely, and lots of times I'll go with no plot in mind, and I'll just uh, I'll take the trip and I'll I'll visit the places and I'll I'll ferret out the things I want to know, and uh, and then um, and talk to talk to local people. It's the reporter kind of, and if somebody's interest, you know, if somebody's you know kind enough, you know, they'll. They'll tell me some stories and stuff, and I'll I'll, I'll use them. I'll, I'll I'll meet people, and sometimes they'll actually become characters in the book. Wow, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fun. I mean, that's that's how I I really I mean I I couldn't you know I don't just like I couldn't go in my office and say okay I have this idea for a book and then write the book. It's like it's more like I mean I, maybe I've got a little bit of an idea of the book, but you know my muse is 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 just I love I love where I grew up, and so I'll say okay well. I want it to be, you know, in this area, you know, and like this time it's the Keys. Last time it was, you know, down in, uh, you know, the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, you know, and then this one was deep, the, you know, Pineapple Grenade, the new book out, it was deep into uh, Miami, you know, into the whole Coconut Grove. And and it traveled around. I mean, it visited like the Deering Estate, which is one, where one of the greatest Miami Vice episodes ever filmed was shot, as well as if you know the opening credits sequence, you know, where, you, where you're looking up at the palm trees, the twirling, you know, palm trees. Um, that was that, that was shot there. So, but I have Surge. You don't have to remember this. If you get the book, Surge will tell you all this in detail. I have been speaking with Tim Dorsey. His new book is Pineapple Grenade. Thank you for joining me, Tim. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.